The Mortification of Sin by John Owen, 1656 Preface Christian Reader I shall in a few words acquaint you with the reasons that obtain my consent to the publishing of the ensuing discourse. The consideration of the present state and condition of the generality of professors the visible evidences of the frame of their hearts and spirits, manifesting a great disability of dealing with the temptations in which, from the peace they have in the world, and the divisions that they have among themselves, they are encompassed, this holds a chief place amongst them. This, I am assured, is of so great importance that if hereby only occasion others to press more effectually on the consciences of men the work of considering their ways, and to give more clear direction for the encompassing of the unproposed, I shall well esteem of my lot in this undertaking. This is seconded by an observation of some men's dangerous mistakes who of late have taken upon them to give directions for the mortification of sin, who being unacquainted with the mystery of the gospel and the efficacy of the death of Christ, have anew imposed a yoke of a self-wrought-out mortification on the necks of their disciples, which neither they nor their forefathers were able to bear. A mortification they cry up and press, suitable to that of the gospel, neither in respect of nature, subject, causes, means, nor effects, which constantly produces the deplorable issues of superstition, self-righteousness, and anxiety of conscience in them who take up the burden which is so bound for them. What is here proposed in weakness I humbly hope will answer the spirit and letter of the gospel with the experiences of them who know what it is to walk with God, according to the tenor of the covenant of grace. So that if not this, yet certainly something of this kind is very necessary at this season for the promotion and furtherance of this work of gospel mortification in the hearts of believers, in their directions and paths safe, and in which they may find rest to their souls. Something I have to add as to what in particular relates to myself. Having preached on this subject to some comfortable success through the grace of him that administers seed to the sower, I was pressed by a number of persons in whose hearts are the ways of God, thus to publish what I had delivered, with such additions and alterations as I should judge necessary. Under the inducement of their desires, I call to remembrance a debt in which I have now for some years stood engaged to a number of noble and worthy Christian friends as to a treatise of communion with God, some while since promised to them, and upon this apprehend that if I could not by this compound for the greater debt, yet I might possibly tender them this discourse of variance with themselves as interest for their forbearance of that of peace and communion with God. Besides, I considered that I had been providentially engaged in the public debate of a number of controversies in religion, which might seem to claim something in another kind or more general use as a fruit of choice, not necessity. On these and the like accounts is a short discourse brought forth to public view, and now presented to you. I hope I may own in sincerity that my heart's desire to God, and the chief design of my life is the station in which the good providence of God has placed me, or that mortification and universal holiness may be promoted in my own and in the hearts and ways of others to the glory of God, that so the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ may be adorned in all things for the compassing of which end, if this little discourse, of the publishing of which this is a sum of the account I shall give, may in anything be useful to the least of the saints. 
it will be looked on as a return of the weak prayers, wherewith it is attended by its unworthy author, John Owen. Demortification of Sin Chapter 1 The Contents of Chapter 1 The foundation of the whole ensuing discourse is laid in Romans 8, verse 13. The words of the Apostle there opened. The certain connection between true mortification and salvation. Mortification, the work of believers. The Spirit, the principal efficient cause of it. What is meant by the body in the words of the Apostle here? What by the deeds of the body? In what sense is life? Promise to this duty. That what I have a direction to contribute to the carrying on of the work of mortification in believers may receive order and perspicuity. I shall lay the foundation of it in those words of the Apostle in Romans 8 verse 13. If you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body you shall live and reduce the whole to an improvement of the great evangelical truth and mystery contained in them. The Apostle having made a recapitulation of his doctrine of justification by faith and the blessed state in condition of them who are made by grace partakers of it. Romans chapter 8 verses 1 to 3 proceeds to improve it to the holiness and consolation of believers. Among his arguments and motives to holiness, the verse mentioned contains one from the contrary events and effects of holiness and sin. If you live after the flesh, you shall die. What it is to live after the flesh and what it is to die is not my present aim and business. I shall no otherwise explain, and as they will fall in with the sense of the latter words of the verse as before proposed. In the words peculiarly designed for the foundation of the ensuing discourse, there is, first, a duty prescribed, mortify the deeds of the body. Secondly, the persons are denoted to whom it is prescribed, you, if you mortify. Thirdly, there is in them a promise annexed to that duty, you shall live. Fourthly, the cause or means of the performance of this duty, the Spirit, if you through the Spirit. Fifthly, the conditionality of the whole proposition, in which duty demeans to it and the promise are contained. The first thing occurring in the words is they lie in the entire proposition is a conditional note. But, if, conditionals are such propositions that may denote two things, the uncertainty of the event or thing promised, in respect of them to whom the duty is prescribed. And this takes place where the condition is absolutely necessary, to the end aimed at and depends not on itself on any determinate cause known to him to whom it is prescribed. So we say, if we live, we will do such a thing. Now this can't be the intent of the conditional expression in this place, of the persons to whom these words are spoken, because it is said in verse 1 of the same chapter, there is no condemnation to them. But number 2, the certainty of the coherence and connection that is between the things spoken of, as we say to a man that is sick, if you will take such a potion, or use such a remedy, you will be well. The thing we solely intend to express is the certainty of the connection that is between the medicine or remedy and health, 
and this is the use of it here, the certain connection that is between the mortifying of the deeds of the body and living is intimated in this conditional particle. Now, the connection and coherence of things being manifold, as of cause and effect, of ways and means in the end, this between mortification and life, is not of cause and effect properly and strictly, for eternal life is a gift of God through Jesus Christ, Romans 6, verse 23. But, this is speaking of UZ's means to this end. God has appointed his means for the attaining that end, which is freely promised. Means, though necessary, have a fair subordination to an end, a free promise, a gift, and procuring cause in him to whom it is given are inconsistent. The intent, then, of this proposition as conditional is that there is a certain infallible connection and coherence between true mortification and eternal life. If you use this means, you shall obtain that end. If you do mortify, you shall live. And in this lies the main motive to an enforcement of the duty prescribed. The next thing we meet with in the words is the persons to whom the duty is prescribed. And that is expressed in the word you. In the original in the verb, it is if you mortify. That is, you believers, you to whom there is no condemnation, verse 1, you that are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, verse 9, who were made alive by the Spirit of Christ, verses 10 and 11, to you is this duty prescribed. The pressing of this duty immediately on any other is a notable fruit of that superstition and self-righteousness that the world is full of. The great work and design of devout men ignorant of the gospel, Romans 10, verses 3 and 4. John 15, verse 5. Now this description of the persons in conjunction with the prescription of the duty is the main foundation of the ensuing discourse, as it lies in the thesis or proposition. The choicest believers, who are assuredly freed from the condemning power of sin, yet ought to make it their business all their days to mortify the indwelling power of sin. Number three, the principal efficient cause of the performance of this duty is the Spirit. If, by the Spirit, the Spirit here is the Spirit mentioned in verse 11, the Spirit of Christ that dwells in us, verse 9, that quickens us, verse 11, the Holy Ghost, verse 14, the Spirit of Adoption, verse 15, the Spirit that makes intercession for us, verse 26. All other ways of mortification are vain. All helps leave us helpless. It must be done by the Holy Spirit. Men, as the Apostle intimates in Romans 9, verse 30 to 32, may attempt this work on other principles, by using the means and the advantages administered on other accounts, as they always have done and do. But he says, this is a work of the Spirit. By him alone it is to be wrought and by no other power is it to be brought about. Mortification from a self-strength, carried on by ways of self-invention, to the end of a self-righteousness, is the soul and substance of all false religion in the world. And this is the second principle of my ensuing discourse. Number four, the duty itself. Mortify the deeds of the body. It's next to be remarked.
three things are here to be inquired into. What is meant by the body? What is meant by the deeds of the body? And what is meant by mortifying of them? The body, in the close of the verse, is the same with the flesh in the beginning. If you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you mortify the deeds of the body, that is, of the flesh, it is that which the apostle has all along discoursed of under the name of the flesh, which is evident from the prosecution of the antithesis between the spirit and the flesh before and after. The body then here is taken from that corruption and depravity of our natures in which the body, in a great part, is a seed and instrument. The very members of the body being made servants to unrighteousness by them. Romans 6.19 It is indwelling sin, the corrupted flesh or lust that is intended. Many reasons might be given of this metonymical expression that I shall not now insist on. The body here is the same with the old man, the body of sin, Romans 6, verse 6, or it may synecdoctally express a whole person considered as corrupted in a state of lusts and dense-tempered affections. Number two, the deeds of the body. The word in the original, which indeed denotes the outward actions chiefly, the works of the flesh, as they are called, Galatians 5 verse 19, which are there said to be manifest and are enumerated. Now, though the outward deeds are here only expressed, yet the inward and next causes are chiefly intended. The acts is to be laid to the root of the tree. The deeds of the flesh are to be mortified in their causes from whence they spring. The apostle calls them deeds, is that which every lust tends to. Though it do but conceive and prove abortive, it aims to bring forth a perfect sin. Having both in the seventh and the beginning of this chapter, treated of indwelling lust and sin as a fountain and principle of all sinful actions, he here mentions its destruction under the name of the effects which it produces. Romans 8 verse 6, the wisdom of the flesh, by a metonymy of the same nature with the former, the passions and lusts of the flesh, Galatians 5 verse 24, whence the deeds and fruits of it arise. And in this sense is the body used in Romans 8 verse 10. The body is dead because of sin. Number three, what is it to mortify if you put to death a metaphorical expression taken the putting of any living thing to death? To kill a man or any other living thing is to take away the principle of all of his strength, his vigor and power, so that he cannot act or exert or put forth any proper actings of his own. So it is in this case. Indwelling sin is compared to a person, a living person, called the old man, with his faculties and properties, his wisdom, craft, subtlety, and strength. This, says the apostle, must be killed. It must be put to death, mortified, that is, have its power, life, vigor, and strength to produce its effects taken away by the Spirit. It is indeed meritoriously, and by way of example, utterly mortified and slain now by the cross of Christ. And the old man is then said to be crucified with Christ, Romans 6, verse 6, and ourselves to be dead with him in verse 8. And really initially in regeneration, Romans 6, verses 3 to 5, 
when a principle contrary to it and destructive of it, Galatians 5 verse 17, is planted in our hearts. But the whole work is by degrees to be carried on towards perfection all our days. Of this more in the process of our discourse. The intent of the apostle in this prescription of the duty mentioned is that the mortification of indwelling sin remaining in our mortal bodies that it may not have life and power to bring forth the works or deeds of the flesh is a constant duty of believers. Number five. The promise to this duty is life. You shall live. The life promise is opposed to the death threatened in the clause foregoing. If you live after the flesh, you shall die. Which the apostle expresses, you shall of the flesh reap corruption. Galatians 6 verse 8. Or destruction from God. Now perhaps the word may not only intend eternal life, but also the spiritual life in Christ, which here we have, not as to the essence and being of it, which is already enjoyed by believers, but as to their joy, their comfort, and the vigor of it. As the apostle says in another case, Now I live, if you stand fast. 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 8 Now my life will do me good. I shall have joy and comfort with my life. You shall live. If you lead a good, vigorous, comfortable spiritual life while you are here, and obtain eternal life hereafter. Supposing what was said before the connection between mortification and eternal life, as a means and end, I shall add only as a second motive to the duty prescribed that the vigor and power and comfort of our spiritual life depends on the mortification of the deeds of the flesh. Chapter 1